Good morning, everyone. Um, my name is Ruan, if you have not met me yet. And this is my father, <laughs> if you have not met him yet. Um, so it's actually so cool for me. I've, while I was busy preparing, I never thought that we would be doing something like this together. Um, and I think the fact that we, in the vi like, as individuals standing up front here, but also us together, is, is part of the testimony of Jesus working in our lives um, and His heart for restoration. So this morning, we're going to have a, a bit of a <laughs> father and son conversation um, <laughs> in, front of, in front of all of you. But just maybe to, to give some context, um, so yesterday I moved off the, the farm there in Yonkersuk. Um If you're part of the church, you know what we mean by the farm. <laughs> it's like half, half the people in the congregation have, have either stayed there or stayed there at the moment. So it's been three years, stayed there with the two Spaniard brothers, and it's the longest I've, I've stayed with people at Varsity, like moved around and raised rooms, and then a year somewhere else. So, three years with the same guys, and this last two weeks or so, you start reminiscing just of everything that you've gone through together, and the things that you've learned about each other, and I mean, when you stay in such a small space for such a long period of time, you really get to know each other, and so yesterday, there was a, in the, like, midst of moving, there's little tensions that, that sort of creep up, and you can see some things hit a bit of a nerve, and it's crazy for me how even just by looking at a person that, you've know, that you know really well, you, you know exactly what's going on in their mind. <laughs> and the, the other side of, of knowing someone really well and being in someone's space is you see the, the not-so-nice side of people or the, the bad habits of people. So I, I won't expose my housemates. I'll expose myself here. So I think... <laughs> If you have to ask them what warning can they give future people staying with me, I think the, the one thing that would stand out above the rest is the way that I treat things in the refrigerator. <laughs> so I, I didn't actually even share this with my housemates, but um, I, I recently had to go up to Northwest to help out something with my grandparents. And... I saw I got this from my grandmother, so <laughs> at least it's not something <laughs> that just came by itself. But I've, I've got this mindset of you don't waste anything. So there's, there's like a little bit of pasta left. You put it in, a, in some Tupperware and you put it in the fridge because you can use it again for something. Like the next day, throw some sauce, throw some veg with or whatever, and you sort it. It's a whole nother meal. But then... What tends to happen is you push something in front of it and this little pasta moves to the back of the fridge <laughs> or whatever moves to the back of the fridge. And later on, you open up the fridge and you see this and you're like, oh. And then you ignore it. <laughs> and then after a while, you become so used to this thing being in the fridge that you overlook it completely, and it's just, it's just there. <laughs> now, the consequences of that is frustrated housemates and food that goes off, but it's not, I mean, it's not that bad. But um, I think that the sort of pattern of leaving things and letting it rot goes through a lot of other areas in our lives as well. So in 2015, I started getting some 
some problems with my jaw. So I would yawn and my jaw would, would sort of go out of the socket and I can't close my mouth, so I'd have to, <laughs> to pop it back in. And it was strange at that time, um, but then that whole thing started causing more and more inflammation, more and more pain. And I got to a place where I could barely eat certain foods. I couldn't sing because of the way that you open up your mouth. Um, and it, it was so hectic. I, I was in, in a lot of pain. So I ended up going to see a specialist. And they explained there's a whole lot of structural things and um, alignment and whatever that's over the years put pressure on this specific joint. And he said the only thing he can do for me is braces for, like, to realign my teeth, break down my jaw, and build it back up again. So it's like a year's process. I was like, this is insane. So got a second opinion. The guy's like, yeah, it, it is like that. But if, you, if you're not going to deal with the joint itself, you can sort of deal with the things around that because there's a lot of other things that contribute to the pain that I would experience. So he sent me to a physio. Now I'm thinking, what on earth is the physio going to do with me? So first physio put acupuncture needles in my jaw, into the joint of here. But then they referred me to someone else who did a session with his whole team about jaw, about the jaw and the, the joint of here. So he had me lie down. He asked out about any previous injuries and stuff that I had. And he started pressing in certain places and eventually got to, to like my legs, my hamstrings and things like that. He made me do some stretches and he massaged my legs and all of a sudden, the pain in my jaw started disappearing. I was like, this is so strange. And he asked me, did I have any injuries in my legs? And I broke my leg when I was in grade 11 playing hockey. And I never properly rehabbed it. So we started looking at these things. And we came to realize that because of that, you compensate in one area. And then as you compensate in one area, the other areas start compensating. And it actually goes up all the way through to the jaw. And so even though... This was, was something circumstantial. The, the fact that other things happened to me and I left it and didn't deal with it properly made this issue so much worse. And now I, didn't, I haven't gotten an operation, but just managing the rest of the things as they take place, there's actually so much relief in, in my job. And so what I want to chat about a bit is, is this whole thing of what are the things that have happened to us in our lives that we've tolerated, that we haven't dealt with properly, and the effect that then, that then has um, in our lives. And so I sort of last moment, last night, um, it just really hit me as I was preparing. Sometimes, um, well, most of the times actually, when someone carries a testimony, when some, something has been worked into someone, it, it carries so much more weight than just speaking about a concept. And if I look at my father, I think this is really something that, that he's a testimony of in down the line now dealing with certain things. But I think there's also certain, certain things that you'll hear now as we speak about um, that is actually really vulnerable from, from his side. And I'm really, really grateful that you're willing to share <laughs> with people. Um, yeah, so we're going to go into a bit more of a conversational style here. Move a bit lower. <laughs> cool. Um, 
Yeah, so I, I maybe want to start just when not a lot of people know where you come from and, and um, what your story actually is. We mostly just see you on a Sunday of people at, at Com and things like that. Um, but so just also for the congregation, I'm going to sort of focus in on specific parts of my dad's story that I think is is relevant for, for where we want to go to. So I'm not going to, he's not going to share everything. I think you'll get these nuggets. If you want to find out more, they love having people in the house. So invite yourself for a meal like Hanu does. Um, you know, so, so there's a few actually really, really significant events that, um, that I've heard you share about over the years uh, that, that has shaped the way that you initially did things and perceived the world. Um, and I want to ask out uh, last weekend or two weekends ago when we Bloom, you, you shared a bit about your relationship with your father um, and just the, the memories that you have of him. So if you can maybe just share a bit about your father, like what, what do you remember about him? Um, also just what happened? Yeah. yeah, I grew up in a small mining town called Virginia. And... <clears throat> I, re- I, rem- I recall when I was about four years old, my dad and my mom were standing in front of the gate and my brother was still in her arms. And my fr- father, or I, I don't know what I did, but I, I remember clearly how my dad said, we better watch this child. He's going to cause us a lot of trouble. And I just went on to play, but that... That stuck with me my whole life. And my dad passed away just after that. And that's what I remember of my dad. And many years later when guys asked me, and I think we'll get to that later on, is what do, I, what do you remember about that? Is that I'm going to cause a lot of trouble. So I had this, I sort of formed this anger in this, inside of me about um, that I need to I need to do something, and then, then also st- growing up on the mines, the teachers called us mine kinders, mine children. So, and the only thing you good for is you're going to work in the mines. There's nothing else. So they actually told us that we that you that you will never succeed in academics. So I be- I started from a young age believing I can't learn. I'll never be able to learn. And luckily, I could hit the ball. So that's what the teachers told me. You're just good for hitting balls. But in that process, I realized that the only time I'm accepted by the teachers or when, when I'm valued by the teachers is when I perform on the sports field. So it beca- became this performance base that you need to earn any acceptance. You need to earn anything on the sports field. So when I get off the, the sports field, I was like, uh, I, I did, had no self-esteem, I had nothing, and, and that carried through right through to my life. And I can imagine just, just that thing in terms of authority figures, um, having this picture of who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do, and that that probably also influenced then the way that you thought about people giving inputs in your life or um, any form of leadership or structure over you. Yeah, that, that was a big part because then as I left school, everywhere I went, any authority figures, I thought of, I just need to perform. I can't do it. I'm not good enough by myself. 
So I need to perform. I need to keep them satisfied. But otherwise, I need to keep them far away from me. I, I've got a wall built around me. I can't let them too close to realize that I'm, I'm actually not good enough. I can, I can only eat balls. But I can't do anything else. And your, how would you feel towards them? I think you, you recently spoke about like realizing the, the anger and the criticism that you would then have towards people in authority. Yeah, and that, that pulled through. And if, if I look back now, you don't realize that at the time. But looking back at it, I realized throughout my life, I started criticizing people. I started looking at people and judging them and think, yeah, they're doing this wrong, they're doing this wrong, I should be, I could do this better. But I, so I criticize structures. And even going, jumping forward many years in, in ministry, where I criticize everything about the structure and getting angry about people not doing what they're supposed to do, instead of of, of focusing on what the Lord wants and what the, what the Holy Spirit wants for me. So it's interesting, just the, that sort of two sides of, of things. It's, it's both being critical and angry towards people and thinking you can do it better, but then when you're placed in that situation, there's that insecurity that I, I need to perform, I need to actually yeah. try and prove myself. Yeah, and in that insecurity, uh, you dodge authority. In that you, you, want, you want to be up there and you want to perform, but then you, we, it's always something that you think they're going to find out. I don't know that much. <laughs> they, they're going to find out I'm not, uh, I'm, not, I'm not good enough. And so you, you don't want to step in a leadership role. You don't want to step. And if there's opportunities, you, you go and then suddenly you draw back because there's that belief that I can't do it by myself. And the other thing is you try to do everything by yourself. You try to think, no one can do it. Uh, if I want it done properly, I'll do it. You, you can't be vulnerable just to ask help or just to, to get the community to, to support you. So in terms of the vulnerability thing, I, I want to jump back just a bit again with, in terms of your story. So you mentioned that your father passed away. Um, what do you remember around that whole situation? Yeah, first, the day my father passed away, I remember clearly how my, we played marbles outside our, our yard, and there were a couple of friends there. And my mom came in there crying, said my dad just died, and, and I was like, I didn't know what was happening. And I, I walked out to the friends and said, my dad died. And they say, that's rubbish. Our mom works at the hospital. It's a lie. It can't die. And you can't cry. Men don't cry. And that I pulled through, and I... And I the, the, the fact that they didn't believe me also did something in me, that I, I, tr I didn't trust people to believe in me going forward. And I only realized that a couple of years late, uh, now ago. And the second thing is, the, with the performance on the one side and the, that I'm not allowed to cry, meant that I cried for injustices. I cried when I got angry. I cried when, when I got frustrated. But I never cried for any emotions. And I never, I, I, it was like this blank because you're not allowed to cry. You're not allowed to see. And in that process, my mom, my mom started saying, wanted to protect us, saying that we should, we should always put our best foot forward. When we go out, we had two sets of clothes that we, that's the sets of clothes that we wore because no one will, must be able to say the widow can't look after her, her children. So we had this 
secrecy in our, in, in our lives. You're not allowed to share anything. They're not allowed to know what's going on in our lives. And that I pulled through throughout my life. No one's allowed to close to me. They're not allowed to find out what I know, what I don't know, what I have, what I don't have. It's the secrecy that, and even pulling it into, into ministry and, and, and uh, Christianity that you can't share. I can't trust the community. Um, one of the things, and I think people that, that know you outside of a, a church context would know you love sports and um, that sort of sport was part of a big part of your life. And another connotation I think more the free state people would have is, is like the mental toughness side of Christus Peace. Um, but you mentioned something, something earlier just around how these, these circumstances made you tough, um, but how... In, so in the sporting world, that, that was a good thing, but in the rest of your life, it was actually a challenge. Can you share a bit more about that? Yeah, uh, what I've gone through just wanting to play sport and in the process of thinking I can, that's all I'm, I can do, I uh, was in a motorbike accident and I lost my leg. And even there, the, the inferiority complex, the moment... I was in hospital. I was fearing that the police will, will um, charge me for causing this accident. And trying to cope again with sport, uh, I, I rea- I, all the, the things I learned came to good stead because um, I became mentally tough. But I, I became so mentally tough that I pushed everyone aside, that you just, it is what it is. You just have to deal with everything. Whatever happens with it, you need to sort it out. You need to do it by yourself. And you can't allow people to, to even see what's going on. Now, that, there the Lord came in and, and used that in the sporting context. Because he gave me a lot more than I would ever have accomplished by myself. Because I became a mental performance coach for, for a lot of teams. And, but in that, I, I taught the guys to put a to not deal with emotions and not to, to believe what you tell yourself because that's in a, it's just part of the emotion. And, that you, and eventually I learned that I, that I can't believe what I tell myself about myself. I need to, to, to realize what God tells me about myself. Now, so um, before we get to the part where of, of like what is the, the actual truth, uh, I think there, there's a few things that you shared now that you can see it it made a, a definite impact and influence the way that you see yourself and the way that you live things out. So I want to ask, in there's a few areas I, I want us to touch on, um, but if you can maybe just share the effect that this had. Um, so also my, my, my dad, you can ask him the detail about the story, but he came to know the Lord and started studying theology part-time while he was finishing, or while he was still a teacher and then went full-time into ministry at a, at a Dutch Reformed church. And I still have some nightmares <laughs> around that time. Um, but what was the, like these things that you went through and the way that you processed it, uh, what was the effect that it had within the ministry context when you are now actually in charge of leading God's people? I think I was trying to lead God's people instead of the Lord. And I was trying to run a congregation and do what, what I think should be done. And even in our family, um, 
trying to, to t- take the authority and say this is what the Lord says or feel, but in the meantime, it was, it was more about me. And I took offense so quickly if, if things didn't go my way, if things didn't go the way I thought it should go. So I didn't trust any authoritative figures. I didn't trust because of experiences we, uh, we picked up in ministry and all the hurts in, um, in the congregation. But that also pulled through to you guys and in, in my wife and my, my sons. We, um, it was, thinking back, I didn't think it was about me, but it was. And, and I, I sort of, of everything centered about what I could do or thought I could do instead of what God could do. And maybe the, the second one, just in, in terms of the family, um, how, did, how did these things play, play a role in the way that you treated mom and treated us? Yeah, we had a, a saying from a very young, happy wife, happy life. And that came from my insecurities. Because I thought if I can, if my wife can be happy, then everything will be okay. So I don't have to share. I don't have to share my emotions. I don't have to share with them. And and what what happened is that I didn't take. I didn't play. I wasn't the man I was supposed to be in the house. I wasn't. I didn't own up because I, growing up with with in, in a house where the mom is the house, the the authoritative figure. And that's what most men grow up nowadays. We see authoritative figures since we grow. Uh, we, when you go get to hospital, it's nurses. When you get to junior school, it's, uh, uh, men have the authoritative figures of teachers. And it's all female. In the shops, it's females. Everywhere, mom tells you what to wear, how to spend your money. And you become a man like your mom. And, and not take responsibility for what you're supposed to do in your house. And uh, that's what I did. So I pushed, pushed it on. And when they asked me something, I, I, it was easy to say, ask your mom. And in that, men gives their authority over to their wives. And the wives are supposed to respect the man for the role he has to play in his, in his home. And, and the man's supposed to love his wife. But I didn't love her the way it should be done biblically. I, I pushed the, the right buttons to get what I want. And in the end, I, th- I think that came from the insecurities, that came from I need to do something, but it's men today growing up like that, want, want to have the, the, um, the position and the mandate, but not the responsibility or the accountability of, of what they're supposed to do. So uh, you mentioned a bit earlier with the sport things, just how God opened up doors. And, and I think it's, it is incredible if we look back. Uh, my dad ended up being the, what they would call mental coach of the cheetahs and the um, eagles that became the Knights cricket team and then Zimbabwe cricket team, the dolphins, businesses, a whole lot of these things. And it was evident there was God and it was his way of providing. But with these things that, that happened and things that were un, undealt with, um, it sort of got carried into these things that God opened up. Um, and can you maybe share just about the effect that it had of actually carrying all of these insecurities and pain into, into the work type of context? Yeah, I kept so busy because I thought now I'm actually supp- supplying or I'm providing for my family. And the Lord opened doors that where I could have never opened. 
And, but in that, I, it's again performance-based. The moment the team lose, I feel responsible, um, and I need to jack this up. And I spend times over weekends with these teams throughout the world instead of with my own children at their games. And, and if I could redo so many things, there's so many things that I would redo so differently now. But it became performance-based, and I realized that, that they're actually not appreciating me. Uh, they want me to help them to perform better, and, and that's all they care about. They don't care about me. They just care about their own performance, especially on the elite level. Uh, and I realized I, I've been treating my kids like that. As long as they, can, they perform and, they, and everything goes well, then it's fine. And I got to a stage where I was driving back from a, from a, 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 a workshop that I did, and I realized I might as well be dead. It, no one will miss me. My family won't miss me because they carry on but without me. They're they performing. The teams won't miss me because they'll just get another mental coach. And I just said, uh, and I was a Christian then, uh, and I just, I just thought I would rather be dead. And I got home, and as I got home, my voice was gone. And, as, and suddenly I couldn't breathe. And my wife put me in the car. We went to hospital. And the next week I spent in, with oxygen in a, as part of an ICU, lying there, I want to say fighting for my life. And they didn't know what was wrong. And then somewhere along the line, as, as Marianne prayed, uh, and I, I started praying and saying, Lord, I, I want to live. I want to I see my kids grow up. I want to, I want to be there for my kids. And that... That moment, everything broke. Everything broke. Two days later, I was in Durban with, working with the dolphins, going out on, sea, on the sea on my kayak. Perfect. Uh, the Lord just touched me and healed me at that moment. So I, I remember um, that situation as well. And I think like from a high school boy's side, you sort of see, you're not aware of the things that are happening in the background. You just see... Like, okay, this is happening to my dad. He's in hospital. And, and with the things that he, he was carrying and, like, the, the distance being kept, we, we didn't really have an idea of the intensity of the emotions that he was experiencing. Um, like, it was, like, you observe these things from the outside, but it actually made it really difficult on, like, our side as well in, in the, the way that we processed. And it was, like, years afterwards where we could actually have a conversation about it and hear what, what actually happened then. And so the, the last one, just in terms of the effects that these things had, I want to ask is, so um, you were, my dad was involved at a school in, in Bloemfontein, and he was the chaplain there. Um, and part of the agreement that the school had was that he had to, to be connected with a Dutch Reformed church still. So he had to preach every few weeks in the Dutch Reformed church. Um, but then in high school, when my brother and I really started following the Lord, we... Um, we decided we're going we're gonna to go to a different church where we can actually grow in God as well. And um, over the years, there were a few different churches that either we as a family or after we left the house, that mom and yourself would check out. What, how was it like and what was the effect um, of all these things that you carried in how you would experience church when you would go visit? Experience church mostly was like you, 
you go there to be fed. So that's what I was thinking that as when I was leading a congregation that I need to feed the people. So and it depends on me and the message I bring. And visiting church, the we we can write books on how uh, visiting churches from being ignored, being uh, go and sit on a, in a certain place, and the people say, "Sorry, that's my place. Move." And um, that I've been sitting here for years, and then also experiencing love and care that we didn't trust, that we that I that when and that's how I came to the Lord because people cared and loved me, and I I was thinking, what do they want? And I realized this is genuine, uh, how people cared and how people loved, and that that made a big difference in the in the first step that I sort of had to take. To trust people with with that. Yeah, I, I remember. I think as my dad said, he his the picture of you go to church to be fed. So it's it's about the sermon. That's pretty much <laughs> what it's about. So I remember our conversations and things would so be like almost nitpicking the the theology or the the way that the guy shared the word. Um, but because there was this keeping people at a distance. The, the rest of the church experience was so far removed, I think, for, for you for a very long time. Um, and I think even as, as some of the people hear these stories, it, it almost seems strange because it's, it's not who we see you are today anymore and um, the way that you give yourself <laughs> to these people and I think the testimony that you carry. Um, and so I want to ask a bit just about the, the side of things where, where you dealt with stuff. Um, and if, if I think back, there's, there's the, the one situation that I want to ask you to, to share um, where you guys visited a church and had the opportunity to be prayed for, because I think that was a, a big shift in the way that you started dealing with things. Yeah, Marianne attended some course, and uh, on the Sunday there was the service, and there was a lady in front, and she started talking about fatherlessness and the father wounds that men carry. And almost every man in South Africa carries a father wound. And women carry a man wound in some sense. And she said she wants, she's going to invite some, some of the elders up in the front. And she wants to call up people to the front to just that these guys can apologize on behalf of your father and that you can give a chance just to experience a father's love, even though it's not your fa father, it's a substitute father. And I thought, this is rubbish, man. I've dealt with this. My father's been dead forever, and I don't need this. But in the meantime, I've had a praying wife next to me, and she was praying that I should go up because she sees, she saw in me what I didn't see. And many times we think we, we know what's happening in our lives, but, and we think we deal with things, but if you ask the people around you, they will point it out to you quite quickly. And I didn't know that um, I had still had this big father wound. And I sat there and looking at these guys going up, and I thought, they're yeah, wimps. They, and, and, that, and suddenly the Lord just grabbed my heart. And I saw an elderly guy in between those guys. And as he spoke to another guy, I just... I just felt I need to speak to this guy. And I got up and I walked in front and I actually pushed in front of another guy to get to this guy. And 
it's that the moment he started and he asked me, What's, what, what do you remember about your dad? And I said, the only thing that I remember is that what I told you now, that I'm going to cause him a lot of problems. And he said, I know your dad is dead, but on behalf of your dad, I want to tell you that I love you and that the Lord loves you. And that moment, I just broke down and I cried and I cried. And he put, me, put his hands around me and he held me and he just said, it's fine, I love you. I love you, my child. And, he, and I just cried. It's the first time ever a man held me and I experienced something of that father's love, a father's embrace. Because up to that stage, I've been a Christian for how long? I, I did not relate to God the Father in a, big, in, a, in a way that I related to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Because God the, the fathers I knew growing up were, were not good fathers. And the, my dad was not there. So I didn't know. I, I didn't know how to deal with God the Father. And the moment he, he put his arms around me, I became, I, I started call, calling the Father, I started calling Daddy. Because suddenly I had a dad. Even though I had him. And he looked after me. And if I look back, even before I knew him, I can, uh, I've got the incredible stories how the Lord, I actually, at one stage where I, I turned back to the mines where I, wanted to, where I wanted to work on the mines again, where I actually heard a, a voice behind me say, this is the way, this is not the way, go this way. And, and later on, I got to know that as Isaiah 30. So, so the... <laughs> That moment, I experienced God's love, God's care through another guy um, that just told me that he loved me. That's really cool. I uh, just want to point out um, two other things that you, you said. So the, the one was, I mean, at that, how long ago was that? Was six, seven years? Yeah, that's about seven, yeah, seven, yeah, so it's, seven it's years It's not ago. actually that long ago. Um, but by that time, you've been in ministry for a number of years. You've been a Christian for like 30 years or something. Um, and you had this perception that you, you dealt with, with things. And, and I think that's an, that's an important thing for us as well. Just the, the danger of thinking that we've dealt with something, but it actually still lingering in the background. And you, I think you said quite well that, um, especially I think if, if you have family around you, <laughs> ask them. <laughs> whether there's things that you have not dealt with. It's going to play out in some sort of way. So I think like if he had to ask my mom, if, if my dad had to ask us, we would be able to say that it's like, no, nah, I don't actually think that, that you've, you've dealt with this. But it's, what's crazy for me, and, and if, if I look back, was the effect that this response in humility of, I acknowledge that I'm wrong or that I've got stuff that I'm still carrying and I want to bring it before God and before other people. Just how that was like a huge blow to 50-something to years of, of baggage. Um, and it was like a, a definite God touching you. But was that enough for the restoration that took place in your life? No, that's, the, that's one of the realizations that I came about especially when we came here, is that I need people. I need God's family. Because at one stage, we, we, like you said, I was involved in, in this, as a chaplaincy in the one church. But other than that, I didn't want to go to church. 
I didn't want to. I didn't want to be part of 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 this because it it felt like even there's a couple of hypocrites around there until until I heard that you know if a, if someone is between you and God, they are actually closer to God, and I re- I realized that that I need to I need to change, and I realized that I need to be v- just vo- more vulnerable and open my life up and acknowledge when I don't know anything, acknowledge when I can't do anything by myself, that I need people. And that's where, especially this, this congregation, made a huge, huge difference in my life just by, by <laughs> just supporting and loving. Yeah. Can I maybe ask you just to share a bit about that? Because, I mean, you came in still with a bit of trust issues towards people, still difficult to allow people in. So what was that... How is that for you coming into this church um, and all of a sudden people don't just want to stand at a distance but want to come in close? And what is your experience and how did you actually deal with these things? Yeah, well, what we experience in other churches, because I came out of ministry, because I've been doing the mental toughness things for high-level teams, uh, when I came in, people were skeptical about, do I want to take over now? And maybe that's the perception I gave. I don't know. Uh, but and that's where I need to give credit to Colin the, and the, uh, the elders here and the family here is that the, they were never threatened by anything and they just accepted us for Marianne and I for who we are who, uh, and they just loved us and that was that was a game changer where I could for the first time I felt in my whole life I could just be myself and that was enough and that that uh, when when some of the com guys come up and they hug me. It's not that they, they want me to do something, uh, some session with them or something. That they just they just love me, and and I, at the, in the beginning it was it was difficult to think. Wow, how, how's this possible? Because they don't know me, <laughs> they don't know my history, but they they just love me, and that was that was a game changer. And I think for, for everyone that, that sort of has been part of the journey since you guys came in, um, it's, it's very evident just how, how things started to, to change um, and just the, the freedom that they came with, with all of these things. Um, and, and I think it's, it's significant for, for us, just in, like if we, we consider these, these sort of things for ourselves, that... Um, I think especially where it's something that's deep or things that we become aware of that we think, cool, I'll, it'll be me and Jesus. We, the two of us will, will sort these things out. But just in the way that God made things to be was we need each other. We need people to come in close into these different areas of our lives in order to truly be set free. And and just from the, from the outside of well, from the outside, but also still really close to my dad, it, it, it feels in the last, I would say, two, three years that there's been a restoration of calling on his life. And, and things that sort of was held at a distance because of all these sort of things, um, now he's actually starting to, to walk in. Um, and I want to ask you, I mean, God used all of the things, but do you think you could have dealt with these issues, if, if I can be blunt, um, earlier in your life? Yeah, definitely. The, uh, if I trusted the Lord, I, I realized that 
Even it's easy to say I trust the Lord, but I didn't. I tried to do everything by myself. Um, and, and all that insecurity just came. I just trusted. And I, 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 I realized, you know, when I, after my accident, the Lord just showed me. I wasn't a Christian then, but I realized it's not what I lost, but what I have left that counts. And I need to develop that. But it was just the Lord showing me how, how I, that through him, that, that with, with Jesus, everything is possible. But that Jesus is in his people. And many times that's the only Jesus people will see is, is what we bring to people. And I should have, a lot earlier, should have heed the, to the call of tr entrusting everything to the Lord, but trusting God's people to, to help me and support me and not to, once I deal something, that they, they will splatter it out all over the place, that, that I can trust people to support me, pray, pray for me, etc. Um, so uh, if I have my life over that, I would have done in a very young age. And I think, uh, yeah, I don't know how that would have turned out. Yeah, and and I, I think that that is the difficult thing with, with, um, with these things, because it, it is the reality. It's, it's the story. It's, it's the pain and, and the things. It's the potential loss of certain things that God called him to. But God... Like, there's a, there's a definite restoration, um, but there's also that urgency. And, like, from someone who actually had to walk these things out, uh, like, don't get to the place 20, 30 years down the line where you're like, yo, I actually had the opportunity to deal with these things a lot earlier. So I, I was thinking, um, the, recently I listened to, uh, I, I really enjoy history, and there's this podcast that I listened to where they spoke about the transatlantic slave trade. And I mean, it's, it was the first time that I heard in detail the type of stories of the conditions that they took people from Africa into America and those sort of places, and the conditions on the boat and the things that people had to endure just to get to the other side. Once they're that side, being like extremely badly treated under these hectic circumstances, being beaten while they're doing their work and things. And imagine you find yourself in that position. You're a slave. You went through all of these hectic things. You're taken from your home. There's this longing in you just for freedom. And then the day comes where you hear the announcement, slavery has been abolished. Like it's no longer necessary to, to actually... Do the things that you do. There's an opportunity for freedom, to be liberated, to do your own thing, to pursue things, to, to walk in the things that you've always actually wanted to. It's like one would think that everyone immediately, hand up, that's me, I want to get out, out of here as quick as I want. Like you would think someone that wants to stay in those circumstances are crazy. It's like you've, you've dreamt about freedom your whole life. And now there's this opportunity, and you, you're choosing to stay behind. And the scary thing is, if you go look at history, there were some people that were so accustomed to this way of thinking, that mentality as a slave, that they didn't actually choose freedom. That they chose to stay in that place under the same conditions, being treated as a slave and seeing themselves as a slave, even though it was completely up to them to just say, cool, I'm out, and go. And, I mean, 
that's pretty much what my dad was sharing now as well. Jesus came into his life when he was 26 years old. There were numerous opportunities where, and if we can have the, the scripture up in Galatians 5 verse 1, where Paul writes and he, he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to your yoke of slavery. Jesus came in and he purchased our freedom. He made it possible for us to be completely free. But then what do we do? <laughs> we go and pick up that yoke again and keep and stay in that mentality of slavery. And so, like my dad also pointed out, there's, there's these two sides of dealing with these things. And the one, as he said so beautifully, was if you look around you, <laughs> that's the answer to a lot of the healing that you're going to receive. And I mean, just even with my dad's story, it, like, I understand, I understand that where, where there's been pain, where people have broken your trust, where there's been offenses from church leaders or uh, abuse of authority, it's understandable that it's difficult to entrust your heart to other people. But my dad's testimony, and I think so many of the people sitting here's testimony, is that it's a risk so worth taking. And that in giving yourself to this group of people, that you'll find healing. And, and I, wanna, I really want to challenge you. Whatever was shared today that just, just stirred a little bit, just touched you a little bit, Share that with someone in the congregation. Open up that conversation. It's in the humility. It's in the stepping out. It's in the trusting people that part of the healing comes. But I, I do want to just create an opportunity for us. Um, my father shared how there was this one situation where he had to respond, and God came in and brought huge, huge, huge breakthrough. And that was actually, I think, the start of a lot of the things that we see today in his life. And so I, I want us to take a, a moment to, to respond to this. So I want to ask if everyone can please stand. <laughs> 